morning, good morning and welcome. If you're here on site, you're more than welcome. If you're watching online, I see you, welcome as well. Um, we are continuing our series entitled Timeless Songs of the Old Testament. And before I get into my message, I just wanted to share something that I read a while back. Now, Time Magazine published this headline and it goes, it's perfectly normal to see Jesus in toast. Now, this was off the back of, I know, I thought it was funny too. This was off the back of some research that found um, University of Toronto that where people see very insignificant objects, toast, coffee granules, a cloud, our brain is wired to see the image of someone significant, oftentimes Jesus, sometimes Elvis Presley, but that's what we find. <laughs> it's called face pareidolia. That's the phenomenon where we see faces and interpret it as um, a person that we recognize. And I wanted to reserve any cynical judgment and let you be the judges of what may or may not be our Lord and Savior. So the first picture, yes. <laughs> Now, this was spotted by a gentleman who was just going out to his local curry house, as you do, about to tuck into a Rogan Josh, and lo and behold, this is on his plate. I'll be honest, it's giving bread of life to me. I see something there. <laughs> but the real question is this. If you see this in your naan bread, do you eat it? <laughs> because... I'm like, I'm sorry, if I see this, I'll be like, I'm so hungry, I just can't control it, I'm just going to eat it. But God bless the gentleman from Sorry who took a picture and shared it with us. Um, second picture. Now, this was a resident from Salford, anonymous for good reason, I think, who claimed to see Jesus in a frying pan. I'm going to be very honest. This is a no from me, dog. This is, if your frying pan looks like this after you've been cooking... Blood of Jesus for everyone who ate that meal. Blood of Jesus on those who cooked that meal because, yeah, bless your heart. You, you know, just bless your heart. Um, we have a saying in Dallas. My parents are in Dallas. They have a saying saying, you know, bless your heart. You tried, you know. It's, the, it's a thought. It's the effort that matters. The final picture is from a lovely lady, Linda Lowe from North Carolina. And she claimed to see the image of Jesus in a grilled cheese sandwich, also known around these parts as a cheese toasty. Now, is it giving Lord and Saviour? I don't know, but I just love her smile. She just seems so joyful about it. I just, I'll go with it for her sake. And I love what she said to a newspaper when she was asked about this sandwich. She said, I wouldn't ever want to think that it's divine or magical. It's just an image. But when I do look at it, it does make me feel tearful that there is a Jesus and that he is real. And what I love about that, and just the idea of this, is that number one, the world really wants to see Jesus and really wants to feel his presence. And number two, thank God we don't have to see him in baked goods. Because some of us have allergies and yeast intolerances. And I don't know what I'd do if I see Jesus in cake. It just wouldn't be helpful. Now, as I mentioned earlier, we are continuing our series, Timeless Songs from the Old Testament. If you're looking for a title for today's message, it is this. God is present, and not just in your cheese toasty, but present in your life. Um, I'm going to be reading from 2 Chronicles 5, verse 11 to 14. If you're following in a trusty Bible, please pick it up if you have your phones. Otherwise, the words will appear on the screen. Before we read, I'd love to pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we come into your presence to learn about your Son. Lord Jesus, 
Help us to understand the word that we are reading. And may the word take root in our hearts. Holy Spirit, we want to disappear and let the words of Jesus, the words that point to Jesus, appear. Less of us and more of you, Lord, in Jesus' name. So 2 Chronicles 5, 11 to 14, I'm reading the New International Version, and it says, The priests then withdrew from the holy place. All the priests who were there had consecrated themselves, regardless of their divisions. All the Levites who were musicians, Asaph, Heman, Jeduthun, and their sons and relatives, stood on the east side of the altar, dressed in fine linen and playing cymbals, harps, and lyres. They were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. The trumpeters and musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, the singers raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang. He is good, his love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the clouds, and the priests could not perform their service because of the clouds, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. Praise the Lord. So quick background into this passage where we find ourselves in 2 Chronicles 5. Um, First and 2 Chronicles talks about the family of David. It's all about his family and his lineage. And I think my husband did quite a good job a few weeks ago talking about David. And if you didn't watch that, do check it. I won't repeat anything he said. The bit that I do want to focus on is that David was a poet warrior and his son Solomon took up the poetry. He was really accomplished in poetry and writing. He was the wisest king ever known, the richest king that ever lived. And I think by all imagination, one of the best kings that we see in the Bible. Um, History tells us that he had wealth that you could not imagine. But his greatest accomplishment, I think, if we could ask Solomon, is that he got to build God his temple. And it was the one thing that God said he was completely designed to do. But he wasn't perfect. And I think like many people in the Bible, they weren't perfect. They fell for one thing or another. In Solomon's case, and that's, you know, a story for another day, I think women was the issue. 700 wives, 300 girlfriends, it's tough for any person, I think. But there is a point to Solomon's message. And this chapter tells us that actually God wants to be present. And God wants to get involved in what we're doing. We arrive in 2 Chronicles 5, just off the back of what we call a kairos moment. And what that is is an encounter. It's a moment of change, a moment of something feeling different. It's a Greek term, and I put it on the screen. It says it's a time or season where things get different. And it's a time when I think we know that things are about to change. And I wonder whether some of us in this room are feeling a bit like that, that we're on the cusp of something about to get very different in our lives. And maybe some of us are really crying out for a kairos moment, Maybe life has felt quite painful, quite bland, actually. And we need God to step in and just change the story and change the narrative of our lives. Now, the chapter, 2 Chronicles 5, also illustrates what it means to worship God in his sanctuary and in his temple. The cloud is an image of the glory of God. We know it as the manifest or the majestic presence of our God. Now, throughout the Bible, we recognize it in different passages that God makes himself known as light or as a cloud. In Exodus 33, he appeared to Moses at the tent outside of the camp. In Exodus 13, the cloud led the Israelites by day and turned into a pillar of fire at night. And in Exodus 40, it was the cloud that appeared at the holies of holies when they were worshipping God. There was also a cloud, if you remember, in Matthew 17, on the Mount of Transfiguration, when God appeared 
to some of the disciples and Jesus, not just showing that his presence was with Jesus, but actually his presence was in Jesus. So what does 2 Chronicles 5 teach us? There's a few things I'd love us to share. The first is this. We need to break down barriers. One thing that we recognize in church is that God wants us to eliminate any division or anything that seems to separate us from coming to him in worship. And the encouragement from that is in verse 11. There's an invitation there, I think, to remove all the things that divide us and cling to all the things that unify us. Amen. There's also a theme in the gospel message, isn't there? That all the things that divided us from God, from knowing him, from being with him in relationship are gone. And we can cling to being part of a family. So whether or not it was a difference, whether or not it was your nationality, your gender, your age, there are no more differences. I think Galatians talks about that, that we're all one in Christ Jesus. No one's bond or free. There's no Jews or Greeks, male or female. We're just one. And that's what we should celebrate today, that we're one in Christ. And when I look around the church, and you can look around the church, actually, one thing that I found is there's more than 80 nationalities represented in our church. That's beautiful, I think. That sounds like unity to me. I think we need more of that. Something else that we look at and we think is in Revelations, it says we're all priests and kings, which means there's no division of class. No one's better than someone else because you come from a certain place or you grew up in a certain home. It doesn't matter if your father was, you know, John Paul, or it doesn't matter if your mother was Mother Teresa. You're someone in God's eyes. And what I want to take, take from that chapter, this verse in particular, is this. There's strength and there's beauty in unity. Every time we see unity, let's celebrate it. Let's champion it. Let's really promote it. It's a great thing to be united in God's presence. And also, if you're here, maybe it's your first time watching online or first time being in this auditorium, and maybe you don't feel like you fit, you're welcome here. Because unity means a welcome. Unity means we have to say you're welcome. You're allowed to come closer. And maybe you're in life and you're thinking, no one really welcomes me anywhere. I always feel like a hanger-on. I always feel like I'm on the fringes. I just want to repeat that, that you're welcome. Don't allow the enemy to make you feel like an outcast in God's presence. You deserve to be here. In fact, you belong here. And I go one further and say, church wouldn't be the same if you weren't here. Another standout point from this chapter is that God's presence is his seal of approval. And that's seen in verse 13. You know, in Exodus, when God came as a cloud, a pillar of cloud, the Bible says, it pointed to God's protection, God's direction, but most importantly, God's approval. And in today's passage, the Bible says that God inhabited the praises of the people, directing them in their worship, approving of the worship that they were doing. And one thing I love about this is that God didn't appear when they gave offerings. He didn't appear when they came in their best you know, garments and best clothing. He appeared when they worshipped. And that's good for us, I think, because giving offerings is fantastic, you know? We do that well in this church, and we hope to do more of that, by God's grace. But it's not about what we give. It's not about what we look like. It's about our worship. And I think giving to God, when we give to God, actually, there's nothing more beautiful than that. The only thing more beautiful than the things we give to God in his house is God's presence residing in that house. So I hope when you came in today, you felt the presence of God because he's been here. 
Another thing that we see in this chapter is that when the glory of God enters, our work ceases. And what that means to me is when the glory enters, our effort is forgotten. We don't have to be or do anything. Even sometimes our words stop. We can't even speak in God's presence sometimes. And one thing that I'm struck by, it's in verse 14, that God's presence was so heavy and so strong that the priests were just almost arrested, stopped. They were frozen in that position. I wanted to ask a question. Have you ever been there? I love that. Have you ever been so struck by the beauty of God that you couldn't do anything? You're just stirred and you just... It's an amazing feeling. Have you ever felt that you're so amazed by God's glory, his beauty, his majesty, his presence, that you can't even sit still, you have to stand. And then you can't stand, you have to fall to your knees, and then you end up laying out on the floor because you're just so in awe of him. And if you're here and you've never experienced that, I want to invite you into that today. We get to enjoy the presence of a present God. But something I want to add is that those moments are not born in a two-hour service on a Sunday. It's born out of a commitment to continual worship of God. That's privately at home, in your prayer closet, when no one's watching, just you and the Bible, you and the Word, you and some worship music, some soaking music. We can't get that once a week. We have to commit to getting that. Amen? Amen. Something else the passage reminds me, and it's this. God makes a habit of appearing to his people. And not just in cheese toasties, like I said. He appears to us. He loves to make himself known and visible to us. And if you don't believe me, you can ask Daniel from the book of Daniel. God appeared, shut the mouths of some lions. If you don't believe him, you can ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They know what it means to have God appear as a man in fire in times of great difficulty and uncertainty. And my question for us, brothers and sisters, family, I hope we're family today, is this. Where do you need to see God in your life today? What is that area that you're waiting for God to just arrive in? What's that situation that God just needs to touch? Could I put to you, could I submit to you maybe that he's already there? That he's already been in that situation? He's not arriving. He's there already. And it's not probably we get to enjoy him. We do. We will. It's so real. So if you're living right now in a situation where you feel there's a bit of hopelessness, that you need help, there's a helper. His name is Jesus. And there's nothing he cannot do. Sometimes we get into God's presence. And I know because I've been there. And we feel intimidated. We feel as though we're not worthy. We don't deserve to be before him. And it's almost like what Isaiah was saying. A man of unclean lips, living with people like you who are unclean, with unclean lips. But thank God that God is just and he's able to cleanse us of every single spot of unrighteousness. So that when I get into his presence, when you get into his presence, you're not standing on your work or your effort you're standing on the finished work of Jesus Christ. And maybe we should remember that when we get into his presence. It's not about what I've done. It's not about what you have done or can do. It's about Jesus. 
there are three things I'd love us to take into our week and take into our personal private prayer moments. The first is this. Before we start, we must unite. We can't do anything without uniting. And we have to eliminate everything and anything that stands in opposition of that. One thing I was thinking about when I was preparing is that division is a trusted weapon of the enemy. And every time he wants to sow discord, he divides. Every time he wants to discourage, he divides. He always brings some sort of conflict. I'll be honest, it's a distraction really, but it gets us off our focus. So I want to encourage us today to do just that. Eliminate anything in your life that looks like division. For some of us, that means forgiveness. I'm going to be honest, it means forgiveness. It means letting it go. And that doesn't mean giving people a chance to get off the hook. It just means handing it over to God. For others, it means putting aside a damaging, unhealthy relationship that we know is causing division in our lives and perhaps dividing us from God. We can't do it in our own strength, I know that much. But by his power and through his grace, we can do it. Sometimes we feel like we have to wait for people to get better before we can allow them to be allowed into our lives or we can forgive them and things can be okay, but don't wait for the person to change. I want to encourage anyone here today who's struggling with letting things go, changing the page of that recurring chapter, give it to God. There's so much we cannot do. We just have to ask God in his mercy to help us. One of my favorite teachers, the late, great Tim Keller, he was an American pastor, a great theologian, awesome apologist. He wrote a book, many titles actually, but he wrote one book in particular called The Meaning of Marriage. And in his book, he said this, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. You know, we can unite in the knowledge that we are all loved by God. And we can unite in the knowledge that it doesn't matter where you are, God is there. And I'm speaking again, I don't know if it's someone watching back online, maybe you're watching on YouTube weeks after this has been preached. Maybe you feel as though you're alone and there's no help. And I just want to encourage you, you can reach out to Jehovah. He's a good God. He's known to be a helper. That's what he does. I want to also give us a second encouragement, and it's this, that God pulls out glory when we praise. So let's commit to praising God more. Let's commit to praising him in spirit and in truth, like John 4, Jesus Christ himself encourages us to do, because God wants worshippers like that. Let's commit, I think, to doing what the priest did in 2 Chronicles 5, just giving him simple worship. What was the song that they brought to him? It wasn't anything difficult to remember or convoluted or hard to keep with. It was two simple truths. God is good and his love lasts forever. If that's the only thing we can take from today, take that. That's enough. God is good. His love lasts forever. And that means no matter where you're going, his love is chasing. 
It hasn't just chased you, it's gone ahead of you. Some of us need to take that in and just let that sit, that you're loved. You're not a mistake. You're not an accident. You are loved just as you are. Sometimes we wait. Maybe one day he'll tell me that I'm loved. Maybe one day she'll show me that she loves me. God already says that you are loved. I want us to receive that. And if we believe that God loves us, what's our response? I believe it's going to be praise. I believe it needs to be praise. It needs to be worship. And if we know that God loves us, we should do more praising. We should do more singing. I put on the screen, we should do more of everything, more thanksgiving, more speaking his holy names. He deserves our worship. He deserves our praise. If you feel loved by God today, why don't you praise him? If you want to experience the love of God, why don't you praise him? He deserves so much of our praise, more of our praise. And sometimes, I'll be honest, it can feel uncomfortable. But it's only uncomfortable if you don't do it, I think. So if you're here and you've never lifted your hands in worship, you've never sung along to the lyrics on the screen, why don't you start today? Why don't you give it a chance? Praise him, bless him, thank him, glorify his name. He deserves it. Third encouragement, and this really is the truth that I love from this passage. God doesn't send a cloud anymore. He gives us his spirit. And the present God that we serve has a name. His name is Jehovah Shammah. He is here. He is there. The God that is with us. We don't have to wait for clouds. We get to live permanently in the presence of God because he gave us his spirit. But more than that, we don't have to dedicate temples to God. We get to dedicate our whole lives. We don't have to wait for a king to lead us into worship of God. We're invited by the king of kings to worship the father. And again, it doesn't matter where you find yourself. God's with you at home, with you in church, with you in the car, with you on the bus, with you in the hospital. He's always with you. His spirit, the promise, always with you. And the words I wrote when I was putting my notes together, omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient one. The all-knowing God, the all-powerful God. He's everywhere, always. And one thing I love is that God was present even before we began. When you got to church, he was already with us. And I wondered what it would feel like if we got a sense of God's presence. What would it feel like if we could see God, the Father, just sat in the front row of this church? Would we come to him with all the things that hurt us and lay at his feet? What if we saw Jesus Christ, the Son, probably somewhere in the back, maybe in the foyer, talking to those who are coming in, thinking about whether to come in or not? Would we help him to bring those people to God, the Father? And what if we got a sense of the Holy Spirit God the Spirit, who is all around us, always. Would we let him into all the parts of our lives that we are ashamed of, that we are frustrated by, that we feel weak in? Would we let him help us? Today, 
I want to give a reminder to everyone listening and watching that you are not alone. You never have to do life on your own again because God is present. Another one of my faves, absolute favorites, R.C. Sproul, and he was another apologist, there's a theme here, Christian theologian as well. He said this, we do not segment our lives, giving some time to God, some to our business or schooling, while keeping parts to ourselves. The idea is to live all of our lives in the presence of God, under the authority of God, and for the honor and glory of God. That is what the Christian life is all about. Today, I think we have an opportunity to experience that, bringing everything under the authority of Jehovah God. There aren't any clouds. There are no images, just his presence. And I want us to think about that. We don't need to do anything, I believe, other than worship. And I think also, before we can do anything, we need to worship God. That's our response. God is present, is the reminder. He deserves our worship, is the response. I want to encourage us to bow our heads and close our eyes, please. Because I want to allow us time to just worship this God. One thing I was thinking about is before we can be anything, we must be worshippers of God. We're not going to be planting churches in heaven or sharing the gospel or healing the sick. We're going to be worshipping. So let's do more of that. And I want to make a very specific call for anyone here today who is yet to make a decision for Jesus. There's joy right now in this room. For anyone who's been avoiding God, do not ignore him today. I'm calling and I'm encouraging us to get into right relationship with God and return to his presence. I'm also reminding us that the highest form of worship is obedience. Yielding to what the Lord is doing and obeying his word. So if you're here today with every head bowed and every eye closed and you need to make a decision for Jesus to live for him, I'd love to lead you in a short prayer. Father in heaven, I confess to you that I have sinned against you. Thank you for sending your son to die in my place. Thank you for raising him from the dead so I could have eternal life. I give you my life now and ask you to come and live in me and make me your child. I love you, Lord, and I want you to live in me and I want to live for you from now on. In Jesus' name. Still with every eye closed, if you responded to that prayer, could you just look at me and just indicate by showing a hand? If that prayer is something that you've done for the first time, God sees you. The Bible says there's much rejoicing in heaven when one sinner comes to repentance.